And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. The streets lost culture. <laughs> and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the new season of Kerning Cultures. I'm Hibba Fisher. We missed you. So I... <laughs> this, um, as I said to you guys the other day, this story makes me feel about a million years old. Um, and we're going to start today's episode with a conversation between producers Nadine Shekhar and Alex Atak uh, and Shraddha Joshi, who's interning with us. So I wanted to just kind of get you to talk me through <laughs> all of the stuff that I uh, that apparently is really obvious to like the rest of the world that I don't know. Uh, so like first, why don't we just start with Nadine? Can you kind of like talk me through how you got into the story what got you interested in it, all of that kind of stuff? So the simple answer is that we just wanted to understand this obsession with Korean culture that was all around us. Personally, I am a big watcher of Korean dramas. Oh, you are yourself? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that. I I can't go like two months without watching a K-drama, so... (laughs) So K-pop is pop music from Korea, and K-drama are the TV dramas from Korea. Undeniably, (laughs) K-pop and K-drama have taken the Middle East by storm. We just, like, noticed that, you know, all these people around the Middle East were, you know, getting obsessed with a culture that wasn't their own. Mm. And in all aspects of life, like food culture, gender expression, music, language, you name it. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, it it seemed kind of shocking, the magnitude of it. K-pop fever in the Middle East caught on its second wind, filling up the Islamic stages with youthful energy and women's freedom. This is K-pop, the Korean pop music phenomena. And Momoland are the all-girls supergroup, creating a storm on their first ever visit to Dubai. We've only seen Dubai on, like, TV or we've, like, read about it, but... It was a really uh, fascinating experience here. And also the extreme dedication of these fans. We are really a fan of them since last year, since uh, they released their song Boom Boom. And I'm happy they're in Dubai right now. I hope that they come here again and bring more bands and have more fun and perform more awesome songs in the future. The rise of K-pop culture here is growing massively. And if you ask, you'll find that at least like one person in your circle of friends is either a K-pop fan watches K-dramas or, like, loves or is obsessed with Korean culture in some way. Now in the Middle Eastern states, K-pop fever is not just a fleeting fad. Dubai looks forward to welcoming the girls back soon as K-pop continues to grow its fan base here. Okay, wait, so, and then Sharada, like, you also... um, are like a big K-pop fan, which I only realized this weekend when you posted your Spotify wrapped and it was like everything, (laughs) everything was K-pop or like a lot of it was K-pop. So that was honestly a surprise to me because I used to have some friends in like high school and middle school who were really into K-pop and I kind of judged Uh them because I was like, why are you just like, you know, it's like, it was kind of this like crazy fandom that I didn't understand. But Mm. I got introduced to BTS this past year and next thing you know, it's my top played artist. And like, that was honestly a shock to me. Can one of you explain 
what BTS is? Shraddha, since you're the fan, you go for it. Sure. <laughs> um, basically, they're a boy band. They are a groundbreaking global phenomenon. Why don't you all introduce yourselves? Hello, we are BTS! Yeah. Beautiful. There are seven members. They, like, kind of just took the world by a storm and became really popular, and their songs have been dominating, like, Spotify charts and stuff, like, worldwide. Their music itself, uh, it has messages, it has concepts, it has symbols that go beyond language, that transcend culture. Are they, like, the biggest K-pop band around at the moment? I think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So I'm definitely not like, you know, what they call ARMY. Wait, but what's ARMY? Sorry, I'm, I might have to stop you a lot. But like, yeah, ARMY. What is that? ARMY is the name BTS fans use to just describe themselves. This is the name they give themselves. Yeah, we're, we're the BTS ARMY. And especially the, the Algerian ARMY, we have a special nickname. We're called Armarians. So this is Fadila Mizmaz. She's a fourth year dental student and is now 22 years old. Armeria is uh, a purple pretty flower. Uh, the color purple is a, the color that represents our fandom. And uh, because Algerian armies are so fun and so lovely, we're compared to flowers. So Armeria, Armerians, Algerian army. I had to Google it to find out that it actually stands for Adorable Representative Master of Ceremonies for Youth. They exist in countries all over the world, and their fandom pages are usually started by hardcore fans. I update about their news, their everyday news. Uh, anything that revolves about ARMY and BTS in my country, for example, a TV report in Algerian, in an Algerian channel, a radio uh, passage for their song, or uh, an article, or something that is BTS-related happening in my country. They put up billboards and manage gatherings and giveaways. They even run birthday events for the band members' birthdays. This is the Algeria Army singing Happy Birthday in Korean to BTS member Chimin. Uh, we also do uh, streaming parties uh, for their music. We also do uh, group pre-orders for their albums. Like, it's really, really a full-time job. When Fadida started managing the BTS Algeria army in 2016, they only had around 700 followers. Yeah, it was really tough at the beginning because they were really unknown. People didn't know them much. It took her years of planning and working around the clock to grow the fan base to the 20k followers it has now. It just brings me happiness whenever I take up my phone and just take up their news, see their pictures, see their new videos, see their performances or watch their concerts. It just brings me some kind of happiness and, and I feel at ease and I feel a, a little less stressed out than I was. So it's really became a part of me and I, I really love what I do. And the first time she discovered Korean pop culture was on a relatively unknown TV channel in Algeria called Korea TV. I said at that time I was trying to escape my reality because it really sucked at that time. Sorry for the word, but it was really hard. <laughs> School, it was so difficult and it still is, but K-pop and Korean culture, Korean dramas were my ex escape. At some point around this time, her friend introduced her to BDS, or the Bantang Boys. Uh, my friend came by and was like, whoa, you have to check this out. 
this music video and this group is so good you have to check them out i just remember it so vividly right now we were in this classroom and she had her phone out and sh showing us the music video and i was like blown away right away right away we fell in love today bts is huge their albums chart for weeks on end, some songs for several months at a time. This year, they filled half of the spots on the top 10 world album charts. A recent music video for a song called Dynamite got 101.1 billion views on YouTube within a 24-hour period, breaking the record for the fastest music video to go viral in a day. BTS has toured on every continent except Africa, and according to the High and I Research Institutes, they contribute 3.6 billion US dollars a year to the Korean economy. That's a lot of money. They contribute 70% of the Korean music industry revenues. So that's like 70% one band. Yeah. So they're that's a big deal. Just, yeah. That is like, wow. Okay. I, it's interesting because I just have nothing to compare that to. Like, there's just no frame of reference for that. No, that's big. That's big. So, like, the Korean music industry is valued at 5.2 or 5 billion. Mm. Uh, and they um, make up, oh, God, I'm really bad with math, but <laughs> maybe, like, two or three of that. That makes 70%, like, three maybe. Wow. So they're a big deal. Yeah. On the outside, the BTS bands, uh, Fadila's favorite K-pop band of all time, seem like your typical boy band who name themselves after a Korean phrase meaning bulletproof boy scouts. That's what BTS means, by the way. And they sort of look like scouts. They're well-dressed. Some of them have vibrant pastel hair colors like platinum blue or a light bubblegum pink. They wear makeup like black eyeliner or a smoky eyeshadow and a faded pink lip. But their current look is actually quite different from how they looked when they started. Back in 2013, they all dressed in black. They had huge gold chains around their necks. Instead of singing about self-love like they do today, at the beginning, their first song, No More Dreams, talked about rebelling against authority, quitting school, encouraging teenagers to follow their dreams and stop being hypocrites. It was pretty different than what we see today. But that rebel look that they started out with, that's what Fadila loves. Back at that time, I, w I used to be a teenager, and they used to be teenagers too. Back at that time, that's the, the, whole, the only thing they were thinking about. They were thinking about school, and they were thinking about how society is restricting them, how the elders want to control them. And so they were thinking about that part of their lives. And because they were talking about something we could relate to, it got us more into them. Like, wow, an artist that understands you on a spiritual level, that's the artist, the type of artist that we want. But then then when we go into more into the meaning of that song and why it was made, we realize that there's, you know, uh, a special intention behind it that the guy who put together BTS really intended them to be different from other idol groups. Bang hey yo, Hitman Bang introduced. CEO and founder of BTS's agency Big Hit Entertainment on October 8th. He wanted them to really express who they were. Okay. So it was kind of like one of the rare times that you would find a K-pop band express like these anxieties so freely because you know the industry is pretty controlled 
I'm Kim Namjoon, and also RM of BTS. I was born in Ilsan, a city near Seoul, South Korea. BTS has become artists performing in those huge stadiums and selling millions of albums right now, but I am still an ordinary 24-year-old guy. I am who I am with all of my faults and my mistakes. Like most people, I've made many and plenty mistakes in my life. I have many faults and I have many more fears, but I'm going to embrace myself as hard as I can. And I'm starting to love myself gradually, just little by little. And so her, like halfway across the world, also related to that. There's something about their songs that I love so much. I don't know. It's as if their songs have feelings. Yeah, you've shown me I have reasons I should love myself. When you hear their voice and you feel like some type of connection, some sincerity, like someone is patting your back or giving you a hug. That's what I feel when, especially when I'm down and I listen to some songs and they get me up on my feet. Uh, I don't know how to explain this feeling, but it's a good feeling that someone is there for you, sometimes feels your struggle, someone is there for you and to help you. They're really like my comfort zone. No matter who you are, where you're from, your skin color, your gender identity, just speak yourself. Thank you very much. Today, we're diving into the story of how the Middle East became so influenced by a foreign culture on the entire opposite end of the world and the highly calculated forces behind the K-pop craze. A little warning to K-pop fans out there, um, your souls may be crushed by the end of this. Um, So, (laughs) good luck. Nadine's going to take it from here. To understand any of this, you need to understand this thing called Hallyu or the Korean wave. The Korean wave, also known as Hallyu, is more than BTS, Blackpink, or K-pop for that matter. Hello and welcome to Hallyu Line. If you're new here, don't panic. Pretty soon you're going to go from Jihoo to Jisoo. Korean culture, such as food, music and art, has taken a hold in London. Korean cultural products have already spread toward uh, every country in the world, including music, television, dramas, movies, esports, food, and even beauty products. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Since the 1990s, Korean pop culture has been spreading across the world, mainly through K-pop and TV dramas, but also through fashion, food, and online gaming. In the Middle East, the Hallyu hit around 2012, and millions of people went crazy for it. In 2019, Korean culture exports as a result of the Korean wave brought an estimated $12.3 billion to the Korean economy. K-pop alone is a $5 billion industry. Spotify has 93 million K-pop playlists, and over 2 billion and 55 million hours have been spent streaming K-pop music. But this trend that took the world by storm was no coincidence. And uh, you told me last time that you were a fan yourself, uh, and then you you watch oh, a lot big of fan. K-dramas. <laughs> yeah, <it's> slightly <laughs> obsessed, but... <laughs> 
I'm trying to control it and make it a healthy habit. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of Korean drama. This is Donia Saberi. She's a lecturer at Middlesex University in the UAE, specializing in soft power. Basically, uh, as I fell in love with Korean series, and I was trying to understand that uh, how someone who studies the society, as in myself, how am I falling in love with a culture that's quite far from my own? You know, how did suddenly the Middle East is falling in love with this Korean culture? Um, I see young students, young people trying to learn Korean which is, again, a language that's very far from Arabic, Turkish, Farsi, like, which is more similar to our languages. Dunya basically came across this Korean government policy. That was introduced by the government in 2013, um, where it was to introduce Korean culture internationally, uh, in a sense that the Korean government wants their culture to be introduced with all its allies, with all its trade partners. So it's not necessarily a coincidence that, you know, we're eating Korean noodles and we can find it in the supermarkets. <laughs> right after the policy was released, Dunya says that 987 Hallyu-related events suddenly sprung up across the world. Those range from opening of cultural centers to holding bigger events that had anything to do with Korean culture. So basically, it's six steps where uh, the policy involves first expanding the scope of Korean culture. They do that through increasing trade. So at very basic level. So this could be whether governmental level or you know, just uh, buying Korean products. We won't go through all the steps, but here are some of the most important ones. The second step, for example, is... Strengthening Korean uniqueness. That's showing that Korean culture and Korean values are very different and unique. And the third step in the policy... Building an ecosystem of creativity. So that means the Korean government giving a platform to their artists where they can show their creativity as long as it brings Korea out in a positive light. I didn't quite understand this point about presenting Korea in a positive light until I spoke Hi. with Mohammed Sadiq, Also known as Mo, M-O-E. <laughs> about Korean dramas and celebrity culture. Mohammed sure. I mean, Sadiq is known to his fans as Mo Sadiq. He knows his case stuff very well. He studied Korean culture and lived in Korea while hosting a K-pop celebrity show at a Korean radio station called KBS Arabic. If you watch any Korean drama, you will never see someone smoke. You will see someone who holds a cigarette. You will see someone who is trying to light a cigarette, but the lighter doesn't work, or he lost the lighter. But you will never see someone actually take a puff. You could never see like um, someone get like slashed by a knife or something like that. Of course, that's not true across the board in Korean films and TV. Plenty of them are super violent and gory. But overall, K-dramas generally tend to present this image of a clean, safe society. And I think this is a prime example of how production uses these perfect images in idealism to toss out these uh, cultural elements 
to promote Korean society in a very ideal and perfect way. And this clean-cut and ideal image Korea wants to present extends to celebrities as well. They need to maintain this image that as soon as, let's say, a Korean artist is involved in, which is rare, not that it doesn't happen, but it's very rare for you to hear about a Korean singer or actor getting involved in any drug or alcohol-related scandal. And as soon as one of them appears in one, it is completely shunned by the entire industry, by the society themselves. So that is one way where they make sure that the Korean uniqueness and their value is at the forefront and does not get sabotaged. At KBS, Muhammad told me how he wasn't allowed to ask celebrities questions about their personal lives when he was doing interviews on his radio show. I think because it, it's, it's again a corporate decision how the image of the group needs to be out to the public. They are perfecting this image of K-pop idols to the audience as if the audience is having a relationship with the idol themselves. So any other news would disturb that dynamic. That's why, like, there would be always an internet rage when there's a rumor about, like, a K-pop idol dating someone. Even if you ask them, like, what's your type? We weren't allowed to say that. Obviously, we weren't uh, allowed to ask any political questions or uh, or religious questions because we didn't want to uh, offend anybody. The interviews were supposed to be as generic as possible, but directed for Arabic audiences. I'm, I'm very curious to ask you, do these bands know, did, did they know coming into the show, uh, on your show, that they had Arab fans, that they were that popular in the Middle East? Um, some of them do know, some of them have no idea. Even when Muhammad interviewed BDS early in their career. Assalamu alaikum. We are BTS. They had no idea that they had Arab fans. He said he's generally surprised if any K-pop group is aware of their Arab fandoms. I was surprised by this one interview. It's an idol group, uh, very rocky, very upcoming. Uh, they're called W24. They came to the interview memorizing a letter in Arabic to the audience, and they said it in Arabic. The W24 members say they are happy to meet their fans in the Middle East and that they hope to meet them in the future. I asked Mohammed whether moves like this are calculated. Are the bands just inspired by their Arab fans, or are they told to put on this act because it's part of some business model? Yeah, um, there has been a lot said about the production of K-pop. Is it really an expression of the artists themselves, or is it a corporate decision? And most of K-pop insiders would tell you that it is a, a corporate decision, from the cover art to the concept of the album 
to their dance and singing themes. But one group for particular, I think it's called B.I.G., they just decided that they want to do covers of Arabic songs because they are more on the indie side of K-pop. So they just want to like sing in Arabic and put it on YouTube. And it was a huge hit. Then they went on KBS radio show and they covered another Moroccan song. Eventually, B.I.G. got a huge following online that they were invited to host a concert in the UAE to an audience of 800 people. But B.I.G.'s story and transition from being a band just playing Arabic covers on YouTube to their huge popularity in the Arab world is a perfect example of another goal on Dunya's list of cultural policies from the Korean government, which relates to using every possible platform, online and offline, to promote Korea or export Korean culture, whether it is by using Korean celebrities or mainly social media influencers to target the Arab world by speaking about Korea in Arabic. And you can see that customization happening all across industries. For example, Korean films being shot in Morocco and other MENA countries. And some of the dialogue in one of those movies is in Derja. K-pop bands have also recorded covers of Arabic pop songs that became huge hits. And then you have Korea adopting the UAE's halal certification to accommodate its Muslim tourists, who last year estimated to have reached 1 million. So according to Dunya, these partnerships on the diplomatic and economic levels have translated soft power or interest in Korean culture into hard power. For example, Korea is now building a nuclear power plant in the UAE. We've also seen an increase in demand for Korean automotive and electronic industries. Similarly, the demand for Korean beauty products in the UAE has increased by 300% since 2012. And that turns into hard power because it's money. It's as simple as that. And if you have money, you have, you have uh, other forms of control. But with Korea having soft power and hard power, so it's kind of like... You accept the hard power, like the policies in place, but you also like it because you like the culture. Another thing on the Korean culture policy list is language lessons in MENA universities. So within the government universities in the UAE, such as Zayed University, the Korean government established a Korean language institute within Zayed University where young Emiratis can learn Korean for free. The King Sejong Institute, an official government-run initiative that runs Korean language centers across the world, has locations in many MENA countries like Algeria, Bahrain, the UAE, Egypt, Jordan, and Iran. Some others are offered as majors at the university level, such as in Jordan, or just as regular courses. Most of them are funded by the Korean government. And usually what happens is when we know different languages, we tend to connect with those cultures on a deeper level. Because we understand the language, so we get the inside jokes, we get the bonding. 
the formalities and informalities. So uh, language is very powerful. We'll be back after the break. When we left off, we just heard about how soft power in the form of Korean culture exports, like K-pop or Korean drama, was having hard power knock-on effects in the Middle East. And it extends to the fans too. For some young Arab fans, life in Korea as represented by dramas and pop culture is an aspiration. And this is exactly what happened with Heba Khaled, an Iraqi woman whose first appearance in the media was in an Al Jazeera documentary that followed her from a Korean-built housing complex in Iraq, filming her every culture fixation, as well as her struggles with applying for studies there, to Korea, where she makes her first trip. The documentary was shot back in 2018. I will introduce myself in Korean. This is some tape from that documentary. Heba is not your typical fan. She's much more than that. She has surpassed the seductions of fandom and really immersed herself in the culture and language and can tell you in much detail why she loves Korean culture in comparison to hers. For example, uh, let's talk about my country. If the women want to marry, some of the men force the women to stop working. But in Korea, it's, it's your life, it's your decision. I, I saw that not just for young, older people, also for young people. When they get married, no one tell you stop doing this or wear a hijab or uh, I will pay for you for salary or something. Mm-hmm. This is your personality and this is the job you want to work. Go ahead. I will marry you as a woman, okay? But I will not uh, force you to do anything uh, I want. And this is really different yeah. from our Arabic uh, culture, really different from Iraqi culture. And since filming the documentary, uh, the she told me she's been trying so hard to apply for a scholarship for a master's degree in engineering in Korea. Uh, really, I, I tried to like spoil my, my story to everyone then to get the scholarship. Uh, it's really mm. difficult. I found that it's really difficult. Heba has only been to South Korea twice. Both of them for a short time, once to film and the other time on a cultural exchange trip. Her goal is to live in Korea in two years' time and has an intensive plan on how to make that happen. It includes saving up whatever money is left after paying rent for the apartment she currently lives in with her mother, the bills, and living expenses. Are you afraid, Heba, to be disappointed? I'm just asking from a very personal perspective because I lived in uh, New York for three years. And in the beginning, it, uh, it was very wonderful and glamorous. But after a while, I started feeling lonely and, you know, anxious. And there were definitely very disappointing aspects of living there. Do you, do you expect um, any disappointments? Uh, I think, yes, I will be disappointed in some uh, things and uh, change my mind in other things, but I need to live there to see, okay? I want to spend like one year or two years to like live there uh, and see if I can live alone. Uh, I want to get experience more by myself. I don't know if I get the scholarship or not, 
but I want when I go there I need to make something it's good for me at the same time to get a new experience a new challenge for me It felt like every K-pop fan in the Arab world repeated to me similar feelings, similar attachments to either Korean pop culture, K-pop bands, or Korean culture in general. And it occurred to me that in the end, that this trend is actually about escapism, especially for Arab youth. I asked Muhammad whether this Korean moment the Middle East is having was just another fantasy we were getting too wrapped up in. That's my question, and that's the thing that I always think about. Do we have the power to become as free as the content we consume within our societies? Do our governments and communities allow us to do these things without being judged or ostracized or prosecuted? If I want to wear makeup in public or if I want to express my gender in a, an authentic, non-traditional way, I don't think so. So, like, this also creates this, like, huge gap between reality and fantasy. So whatever content we're consuming at this particular moment in time is still a fantasy. But until the fantasy wears off, there's much to admire about how far the fans have come along. For people like Fadila, she found a sense of community. Back at the time, we were a minority, if I may say. We were like very few people from all around the world that liked a certain thing, a certain group, certain music. And people didn't really understand what we felt about Korean culture, about K-pop. So we just found comfort in each other that we, oh, finally, I found someone that understands, that likes the same thing as I. So... Uh, at that, we built um, this link, this 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 relationship that uh, that revolves around liking the same, having the same interests. Eventually, we started uh, doing projects together, helping each other, and and this is our point of strength, our unity. Uh, we we do wonders together. This episode was written and produced by Nadine Shekir with reporting support from Shraddha Joshi and editorial support from Dana Balut, Alex Atak, Zaina Duidar, Shraddha Joshi, and Abed Amr. Fact-checking by Shraddha Joshi, sound design by Alex Atak, and mixing by Mohamed Khezat. Bella Ibrahim is our wonderful marketing director, and Kerning Cultures is a production of the Kerning Cultures Network. That means we have a lot more shows, by the way, under the KC Network, a total of eight in Arabic and in English. So please uh, check out the other shows if you don't know about them yet. Just Google Kerning Cultures Network and you'll find them. Special thanks to Fadila Mizmaz, Hiba Khaled, Muhammad Saudit, Dunya Sabiri, and Maisel Wahibi from the Korean Culture Center in Abu Dhabi for speaking to me for the story. Archival tape from this episode comes from Al Jazeera English, Arija Sultan, KBS Arabic, and K-pop concert goers. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time. So watch me bring the fire, set the night alight. 널 잃은 아픔에 찢어진 가슴에 
텅빈 내 마음에 한없이 슬퍼지는 오늘 Thank you.